Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out out. How are you doing, Marty? I'm pretty good. I have a tubercular cough, you but do. I feel it adds to my mystique as a writer. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, if you die of consumption, all your books will become bestsellers. Yeah. And they'll do Amazon series of me daintily holding a lace handkerchief to my face and coughing, and then it zooms in and there's blood on it. <gasps> That's so true. Yeah, That's but really exactly. it's just because I killed a bird and ate it. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. I make other people kill the birds I eat. Oh, no. This is terrible. How are you? How's your life? Different than it was a couple of minutes ago. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. I've been trying to figure out, like, a, like as always, trying to figure out how to be the loving spouse of Aww. someone with ADD. Oh, who would that be? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean. Um, so you don't really do social media. Not really, no. And yet when, so there's this, this thing happens between us and I don't know how aware of it you are day to day, but often we mm. will find of an evening we'll be lying in bed yeah, and, you know, you'll be doing something, I'll be doing something. And what I'm, you know, I'm not too proud to say sometimes what I'm doing is scrolling 
Instagram. I'm proud of you. I think that's amazing. It's an amazing act of courage. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it really isn't. This is where we're different, but you don't like to go on Instagram because you think it's scary. It will eat my soul. Yeah. Yeah. It will eat your soul. But what you do seem to like is sort of glancing over at my phone while Mm. I'm mindlessly scrolling. And because mindlessly scrolling isn't really a skill that you have. No. What happens is that you see pictures, there's a lot of pictures on Instagram and you just see pictures. And as I'm scrolling by, I start hearing this little voice going, Ooh, who's that? Is that you? What's happening there? What is that? Is that you? Is that our friend? Is that oddly satisfying? (laughs) Is that cake? (gasps) Okay. (laughs) And then, and then also the other thing is you go, stop, go back. What was that? And that's not the way of the mindless scroll. See, that's why I can't do it. Yeah. Because ADD, the thing is, I used to think this was like, oh, come on, like hyper-focus plus I'm easily distractible. Pick one or the other. <laughs> but what happens is that I get my distracted by something and then it eats my soul because I cannot look away from it. Yeah. I, you can't kind of put your brain on soft focus for scrolling. No. Yeah. I can't scroll. It's it's like I'm, I just dive deep. I cannot snorkel across the top. And <laughs> yes. you just snorkel and snorkel. It's amazing. I do. I do. I mean, it's not even – snorkeling is too strong a word. I lie face down in the water breathing with a, like, um, what do you call a, a life jacket here, like a life preserver? Life preserver, yeah. And I wear that so mm. that I don't even have to kind of make any effort. And you I have just a snorkel. Lie. I have a snorkel to breathe with. Yeah. So that's that's my metaphor for scrolling is it's very effortless. But um, yesterday, Marty, what happened was that <laughs> I was t- sending a text. I was sitting in a chair, minding my own business, sending a text. Mm-hmm. And that text was, it was an important one because I was texting our beloved Karen mm. who had said, what do I say to Lila, our daughter, when she doesn't want to come inside and I want to come inside? Mm-hmm. And so I was telling her, this is what we'll say. We'll Mm -hmm. say this and then say this because it's what I find works for me. And I'm busily texting away and suddenly I hear this voice over my shoulder. Is that a carrot? (laughs) (laughs) And this is is because you had peeked over my shoulder in that way you do and you had seen a photo on this text thread. And in fairness, Marty, it was a photo. You were on that thread. And it was... (laughs) It was a photo that had been sent 10 minutes earlier mm-hmm. by Karen to mm-hmm. us that you'd already responded to oh. with two simple words, dear scat. Yeah. <laughs> but 10 minutes later, you saw it on my phone and went, is that a carrot? <laughs> In my defense. Um, <laughs> you don't need to defend. Dear scat looks nothing like a carrot. I think it, I was distracted by a leaf. So mm-hmm. I can look at the deer scat, process it and go away, but then be completely mesmerized by, mesmerized by a nearby leaf. Mm. Welcome to my hell. Yeah, I mean it's 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 different. It's interesting. It's it's a, it's a real insight into you your brain. Are getting a tiny slice of what it's like to have ADD because literally slice my of whole, what cake is it? Cake. My entire day is is it cake? Oh, what's that? No, go back, go back. Oh, I'll do this. No, I'll pick up that. Why am I holding this? I don't know. And it's not old age or anything. It's just I've always been this way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I know it's it's rough. Anyway, I'm glad that you're starting to empathize through my constantly annoying you. I do, I do empathize deeply. Thank you. It's so kind. Oh, yeah. Huh. What are you trying to figure out, my love? Um. Well, 
as usual, mm. has everything to do with li- wildlife. Mm. Deer scat? Mm, not so much. Okay. Good. That, <laughs> good. That reminds, <laughs> reminds good. me of a time that in South Africa, I once actually entered a contest, informal, um, <laughs> about spitting impala dung. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. I'm pretty good at it, as it turns out. Anyway, I'll just leave that as an image in listeners' minds. Yeah. That is something I have done, competed at spitting impala dung. So now I'm down the deer scat ra- rabbit hole. Deer scat rabbit hole? That's oh. a mixed metaphor. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay, so what I'm worried about actually is raccoons. Uh-huh. And because, you know, you get bird feeders and then the squirrels attack. Mm. And they get they sell you this chilly hot bird seed that's supposed to discourage the squirrels. <laughs> they just w- are wearing little sombreros going, Mexican tonight. <laughs> and... Um, they're okay because I redesignated my bird feeders as bird and squirrel feeders. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is that the raccoons have some kind of malicious intent. Like Are they you sure? They make macrame out of the bird things. They <laughs> unscrew things that take half an hour to unscrew. I mean, they are putting some effort into destroying my bird feeders in the night. I know it's them because I bought a camera trap. Yeah. And sure enough, there's this incredibly glossy raccoon. Have I already talked about this on the podcast? I actually don't think you have. It's it's exciting. Well, anyway, he's a real scoundrel. Hmm. I mean, he yesterday you saw what he did with that bird feeder. It Is was it just bizarre. one guy. It was like performance art. It was just one of them. I always I, imagined there were like three or four. It could be because I've seen pictures of them actually standing there's a there's a picture online. Y'all can Google it if you don't believe me. Uh, somebody has hung up a food package that they're hiking with. Can I uh, just tell listeners that if you meet Marty, you will, within about 45 minutes, have been shown this picture that she's describing now. Yes, absolutely. She's obsessed because with it. Because somebody hung this bag of food up from a tripod to keep it away from the bears and the raccoons. Well, there is a picture, a photo of, I think, five raccoons stacked on top of each other. With the top one getting the food. They conspire. They cooperate. They cooperate. They conspire. They have abstract thinking. They have planning. They probably had a freaking spreadsheet for that. And what does this tell you, Martha Beck? Well, I finally figured it out because it was freaking me out, Ro. Um, <laughs> I know it's been troubling you. <laughs> and everybody talks about they have the little mask and isn't that cute because they're such scoundrels. Well, I am not finding it funny after going through like <laughs> nine different suet feeders. And then I realized as I was undoing the macrame that they had made the other day, monkeys, oh, sorry, I just (laughs) just just blew the punchline. Raccoons are the monkeys of North America. Yeah. And as soon as you said it, it made total sense to me. And you know what got me over the line with that? Yeah. The hands. The hands. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Once you get hands going on and the planning, and because you know monkeys. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Do I know monkeys? They can be real. Excuse me, I know this is a family show, but they are, woo. You know, you'll go into a monkey that is sitting. You have to say the word. They're assholes. There we go. They're just little assholes is what yeah. they are. Yeah. They've got they, a good sense of you humor You know why? Because it. they lie. Like you walk in on them going through your luggage and they pretend they're not doing it. <laughs> they don't just run away like a rat or something normal. They look at you and go, oh, I thought this was mine. <laughs> And they mean, like, you look in their little eyes and they're like, 
I'm sorry, I, I thought I had this outfit, you know? <laughs> so after, and it's very creepy. It's that uncanny valley of they're uh -huh. just too human to be like, okay. Yeah. And now I'm afraid that raccoons are going to mutate and we're going to have tiny, like 40 pound humanoids going after our bird feeder because we, we are an offshoot of the primate group. Well, what if raccoons have the same mutations and we get little raccoon-like human-esque brains in the forest. Like it's a moral crisis. What do we do with a human raccoonoid in the forest? We can't just treat it like an ordinary animal. How do you, how do you treat it now? You just ignore it and get, you'd have to give it civil rights. I'm, I'm really, you know, and I, for all I know, the raccoon who has been doing macrame with my bird feeder is already human basically, or, you know, equivalent, human equivalent. Is it racist to say that maybe this has already happened and that's what Oompa Loompas were? I think that's very racist. All right. <laughs> I'll leave it then. <laughs> anyway, so I have this moral crisis going on with raccoons being basically human. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we have, we're at cross purposes. And somehow I have to negotiate with them because I can no longer just like treat them badly. The reason you have a moral crisis is that you also have this very deeply held belief that you must feed all the things. That is true. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes it tricky for you because other people just take all their bird feeder stuff inside at night, but you're like, oh, but he's probably hungry. You know, no, 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 no. That's because in the, I don't get up in the morning for anyone. <laughs> Not even the woodpeckers, but the woodpeckers get up really early. Um, so if I take in the suet at night, then the the woodpeckers show up at dawn for breakfast and there's nothing for them. I have obligations to my constituents. I wonder if we could like program a drone to like fly over and like ha delicately hang all your bird feet. Yes, things an from. artificial intelligence. And then it maybe will develop sentience and consciousness then we'll have a human humanoid drone a humanoid raccoon there's me sleeping upstairs i don't know what's going on there could be an entire war between the humanoid raccoons and and drones or, you know what is more likely they team up against us oh so basically i am starting the apocalypse on my bird feeder but it's actually your fault because you bought it for me hmm Oh, well, well, we'll just both agree okay. to take responsibility for that. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I, I feel like we've figured that out now. I, I do too. Much <laughs> further along. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would be also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Mwah. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, 
by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. (laughs) What are we talking about today, Marty Moo? Today is a Wild Files episode. Yay! Because I love getting questions from the peoples. I know, me too. And and who are we hearing from today? From Kirsten. That's right. I, I told Marty she had to say it because I can't say that name in an American pronunciation in my accent. So um, now we've done that and now we're going to hear from her. Okay, Kirsten. I am a single parent, very single, for 10 years now, and my children are 23, 20, and 18. We are very close-knit, and we do pretty much everything together. They are, of course, getting ready to launch, as they should, but COVID kind of slowed down the process. I want tips, please, on how to be emotionally healthy during this launching time. I know when they can't sleep. I know when they have stomach aches or headaches. I know everything. Um, And I'm just so emotionally connected. How can I step back and still be supportive and loving? Such a good question. Mm, So many people have it. Yeah. We loved this question. We heard it and we said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's all about growing up. Mm, Yeah, it is. It's about how to grow up, how to let other people grow up. And it's a very ambivalent thing in our culture, growing up. Yeah, and as with so many of these um, topics that we discover, like you dig a little bit and you're like, oh, my God, there's culture everywhere. Yes. And I have to make a disclaimer at this point. And I'll probably yes. make this disclaimer a million times because we I think talk we about already nature. have made it several times, but yeah. go ahead. Nature versus culture. Sometimes I talk about traditional cultures, Western cultures or whatever. I am aware, keenly aware that culture is not monolithic and that it flows and that there were like thousands and thousands of cultures that existed on earth before modern Western culture developed and that modern Western culture has its subcultures and all of that. So it is a shorthand, but it's basically just to say, when you do something that isn't true for you, because you want to please other people or a mental image of other people in your mind, you are having a social response, a cultural response. And there are, um, there is a zeitgeist, there is a a sort of spirit of the times that goes along with, um, you know, the culture that is spreading all over the earth because of the internet and everything. Like there is a modern Western culture that has certain characteristics. It's not monolithic, but it's very powerful. And it does show in the main some consistent characteristics. Okay, caveat over. So in a way it's like um, if when we make generalizations about our culture or whatever, you can just imagine that it's Marty and me talking about our subjective experience yeah. of the culture at large and and you just adapt it to whatever your your version is. Yeah. Um, so and- sorry for all you social scientists out there. I am among you and I, I believe you. And still it's a very convenient shorthand to say 
we get a lot of pressure from the society, from our culture to do this. And yeah, so like wherever you find yourself saying I should or feeling I should do something because other people do it, yeah. not because it feels intrinsically good to you, right. then you can probably you can be pretty sure that there's a cultural pressure there. Yes. There's some sort of element of culture there. Whether it's from your family culture or yeah. from the church or the state, whatever. But that that's the whole idea is that we want to get people away from violating what feels true to them on the inside in order to please other people. Yeah, exactly. Bottom line. Okay, so. Exactly. So bearing all of that in mind, of course, we're thinking about um, the culture and um, our culture and the concept of growing up, yeah. you know, and kids launching and everything. And mm-hmm. I think some of the um, the kind of cultural messages that I was able to identify uh, around this is the first one is like launching this idea of of your children in their late adolescence at some point they'll go off and become adults like that's what we're basically talking about with launching that's what Kirsten sorry Kirsten (laughs) said um was talking about and you know I think one of the things that our culture tells us is that that process needs to happen on a certain timetable right you know and um (laughs) instead of when the family's ready and I was thinking about so for me I turned 18 and my mother moved out of our family house. <laughs> That's str- you must have been a really fun teen. <laughs> I was like, come on, it's time. She's like, help. And she just moved out. Uh, yeah. No, does she that had count to- as launching? Did you launch her then? Yeah. Does that mean? It was time for her to spread her wings. <laughs> There's a whole world out there. You're just hunched in the nest. Yeah. <laughs> and I think another message, I don't know if you would agree with this, Marty, but like when we've talked about parenting and parenthood and all of that before, there's this, I feel like there's this built-in message that is um, about when it comes to being the parent of someone, Mm -hmm. it's got to be all about them and not at all about you. And I always get really uneasy with that because it's like um, there's going to be needs in a collective sense and right. And that part of of the growing up process is that we learn to accommodate others' needs and work with others and not have it be all about us all the time too, right? Uh And this is like a side note, but I was thinking about the language of it because you know how there's so much culture in in the language we use? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if this is true in every language, if languages have a word for adult children, because I feel like there's when you want to describe the relationship of yourself, like of that those people who are adults, huh. but they're your children. You still call them your children, and do you yet, do that in other languages? I don't know. Like I was thinking, like in in Spanish or French, you would um, use gender, uh-huh. but it would be the same. So I you would don't. be able. You wouldn't say children collect. Oh, well, you would, but you yeah, you know would not get into I, that. <laughs> Chinese and Japanese, I'm not sure, but I think you would say my son or daughter, but I don't think you would ever, I don't know. I don't know enough to say Mm. my child. I don't know if they would use the words for child to describe like a 40-year-old. They're still your son or your daughter, but they're not children. Yeah. I don't know if that's in, that's really interesting. There should be a separate word for a child who is not a child anymore. It's my child, but um. We should make one up. We should just make one up. See yeah. if we can spread it. Adultrin. Adultrin. That sounds like the child I had from my adultery. <laughs> it does. Oh, no, let's not say that then. 
Um, yeah. So anyway, all of this stuff, and it's my so grown ins. Oh, my okay. ingrowns. So go on. So anyway, I think that what's interesting about this topic of growing up and launching and everything is mm-hmm. that there's so many maturation points that we go through as parents as well oh. as as fledgling human beings. And I feel like this moment that Kirsten is going through is like having there's a moment of maturation for her as a parent right? that I think we can also resist and we can also yeah. pr- put off. Absolutely. Know. Oh, that's so interesting. Like you call yourself a mother when your baby is born. You call yourself a mother when your baby is 53, mm. but you're a different entity. Mm-hmm. You're rela- And if you do, if you freeze it in language, I'm the mother, that's the child, then you could be 86 and they're 66 and mm-hmm. you're still calling them a child and you still are acting like you're the mother that like suckled them. And yeah. one would hope that by your 80s, you're no longer suckling anybody. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> if I should go down the, how dare you? <laughs> I don't know. Sounds, Sounds like ages. something the raccoons would do. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, uh, you know, um, sociologically speaking, there's a whole thing around the technological advances that have driven the age of maturation older and older and older because there's so much more to learn. Like I remember hearing, I don't know if this is true, but I, I heard once that the Vikings considered a boy old enough to go to battle if he could reach across his head and touch like with his right arm touch his left ear or with his left arm touch his right ear because little kids I mean if we tried this with Lila her hand would get about halfway up her head because their heads are much bigger and their arms are shorter oh that's why we that's why they toddle oh very cute but once you can reach your own ear with the opposite hand you're ready to be kill and be killed that's that's pretty radical Marty what I just tried it I think I'm ready you're ready ready to kill and be killed I'm going to put you out there at night Yeah, <laughs> next to the bird feeder. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, but, you know, children as young as four were considered to be like old enough to be contributing to the family finances um, by, by like hunting, gathering, farming, whatever. And now it's like, I was like 43 before I realized, no, you really have to keep all your receipts for seven years because the IRS could come out and ask you why you bought a breath mint seven years ago and like question that legally. It's like, nobody ever taught me this in school. What? There is so much to be learned to navigate the complexity of society that now it takes about 20 years mm. to get to the point where you're sort of literate not in the sense of reading but in the sense of understanding the functions of the structures in the society is incredibly hard and that's why you see the adulting memes online there's so much stuff figuring out all the phone calls you need to make all the different passwords and all of that compared with a kind of hunter-gatherer thing of i'm hungry I'll do something. Now I'm no longer hungry. I'm tired. I'll go to sleep. Not to oversimplify. <laughs> um, the, but it, there's definitely a level of complexity yeah. in our society that for sure would have to have pushed. So I'm like, all right, you were grown up at nine. Now you're grown up at 29. Like, how do I make the call mm. intellectually? I can't make the call intellectually. So what I do is I go back to the whole nature thing, which is you just said something if it's best for the parents, best for the child, it's best for the family. My premise, 
and this is just my like cosmologist, my faith, is that if you do what is truly best for you and you're honest about it and communicative with the people you love and the people you don't love, it will be best for everyone if everyone serves their integrity. And that means that one kid might be totally ready to go at 15. And another person may be gent like Adam is, hmm. he's, he has Down syndrome for those of you who have like been living under a rock somewhere. <laughs> and he's very grown up in some ways. And in other ways, you could not, I asked him if he wanted to learn to cook his own eggs on the gas burner. And he just looked, he looked askance and he said, you want me to burn the house down? <laughs> um, which pretty much shows he's a grown up, but mm. he knows he's a grown up with limitations. So it's like, again, I'm not trying to make another, a general rule for Kirsten. Here's how you know. Mm. It's a deeply personal thing, but I really love your idea that the mother should, or, or father or parent should look at his, her, or their own sense of maturation in the relationship to know when it's time to launch someone. And in fairness, Kirsten wasn't saying, when is it time and how do I know? She was looking for how to stay emotionally healthy. And I think mm. what she was also looking for was like how to let those cords be a little less tight. Mm. You know, like there were, we talk about that umbilical cord thing of of sometimes people haven't quite cut the umbilical cord, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, in, a, in a metaphorical way. Yeah. But... Um, you know, what do you think about that, Marty? Like the um, the how to stay, how to do that. I think it's for some reason I'm I'm remembering something you once quoted from Russell Brand, where he said, "I want to do something. I don't know what it was. Something socially responsible." He said, "I do want to do it. I just don't want to very much." Mm. And I'm thinking, it's almost like you still care, you just don't care very much. Like if a 40 year old has a stomach ache, if your 40 year old child, whatever the new word is, if your 40 year old raccoon substitute um, has a tummy ache, instead of going, oh, honey, let me come rub it with liniments, you're like, oh, yeah, you know how to get that taken care of. Call me when you've been to the doctor or whatever. Like you care, you just don't care as much. Yeah. And that's a got to be a discipline, right? Like, yeah. And also, I actually feel like I'm going to get in trouble for even saying that. It's almost like there's a, there's a, and again, I'm generalizing to what I think the general, the zeitgeist is saying, but it's like, never stop caring as much for your grown child as you did when they were a six pound infant with no skills and nothing to, you know, no abilities. It's I know. I sacrosanct. hate that. I hate that. Like, as you know, I have like real issues with that because for me, you know, and our our daughter is two and for me my job as parent is to ready her for hard things mm. that are going to come, yeah. not to protect her from them. Which is why I think we should have her making textiles in the basement. Well, or at sell. least like guarding the bird feeder at night, right? Good point. Let's check her arm length. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't get close. She couldn't. <laughs> Unless we could get like three of her right. and they could stack up on each other. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past her. But no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And you were, felt so clear, so deeply about maturation <laughs> that you you kicked your own mother out at 18. Yeah. yeah, she just, she needed it. It was time. We both <laughs> needed it. <laughs> like, like when I tried to run away from home when I was about eight or nine and, and I was trying to like 
I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast uh-uh. before, but I was trying to like get some information out of her without giving, like showing my hand. And so right. I was like, so mum, if you wanted to get to the countryside, <laughs> could you just like sort of just take any streets and eventually <laughs> you'd get to the countryside? She's like, what are you up to? And I said, I said, oh, nothing. She's like, are you planning to run away from home? And I said, look, <laughs> you and I just don't get along that well. <laughs> She's like, I don't think that's the way of characterising it. I think what's going on is that you don't do what you're told. (laughs) I remember thinking, no, no, that can't be right. This goes to my point. Not all children are the same. Right. (laughs) You were clearly a freak. I should say my mum decided to move to the countryside and have some time there and, and I rented her house, our family house, with a couple of other students for a couple of years and it worked really well. It's so mature of you. It's amazing. So, I mean, there, and it breaks the cultural model of what is meant to happen and it shows how it can work really well because we, you and your mom have a wonderful relationship. Mm, we did have a lot of parties in that house, I have to mm. say. But. <gasps> Here, topic for another podcast. So should we have a little break and come back in a minute? Let's do. I've always been weird. <laughs> When I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pod. So, Marty, mm-hmm. how do we figure this out, this thing of, of grown-up children launching? Well, if you go, the interesting thing about the premise of following your own nature is mm. you really can't know what's true for anyone but yourself, mm. but you can know absolutely what's true for yourself. It strikes me when Kirsten asks this question that she's asked, she, she's buying Sorry, this is putting it kind of cruelly, but we all buy into this idea that there is a way to do things with your kids. And if you do it correctly, everything will turn out okay and everyone will approve of you, both Mm. the children and everyone else. Mm. But when I go completely to what is my truth, what what struck me is you become a mother when you have a child. And that is a very stable identity. When your children leave home, you don't get to keep that identity unless you're very much a helicopter mother, even Mm. of adults, right? Mm. So the real issue is what are you and what are you becoming? Oh, God, this is so interesting because we've we've come at this sort of place, come Mm -hmm. to this place that we've come from a lot of different directions in other podcasts, which is that am I a noun or am I a verb, like, do I stay static or do right. I change and evolve? And I, I was sort of reaching towards this idea of I think it's a big transition or maturation point for a parent, but I hadn't realized that it was, oh, my God, it's like I am a mother, I'm, you yeah. know, we are a close-knit family I, and yeah. all of that sort of all these ideas that are all noun-based. Yeah. That I mean, that's huge. In some ways, that is going to, and I've not thought about it because I've not been through it from the parents' side, but, mm-hmm. like, that's got to be a huge transition in the identity of the parent. Yeah, and being a parent, particularly being a mother, is yeah. a very safe thing to be. It's a very safe noun to be. 
in this in any well probably yeah. in any culture. And I tell I will tell you I will I will make a confession here. Mm. Um, I when I wrote my first memoir, which was about my son, you know, deciding to keep him even though he has Down syndrome and all that stuff. I knew that I was sort of stepping into the loving mother role and mm. that it kind of made me bulletproof in the culture. Like nobody goes after the mother of a child with a disability. Right. I was so safe in that. Do you mean in terms of how the memoir would be received? About how I would be perceived in the world as well. Right. And then, I mean, at first I had a lot of shame about it. I was at Harvard yeah. drink, and, you know, people thought I was making the wrong decision and I was, I thought, oh, he's going to have a blighted life and everything. But as I came to sort of fall in love with exploring the world from through his eyes, I became, I, I occupied this identity, which people might have, people might have thought it was stupid or whatever, but they couldn't say it in public. Because you're going to get in big trouble. Yeah. And here's the thing, Rowie. As we've been talking about this, yeah. I thought, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm all about launching. I'm all about freedom. I'm all about shifting identity. But you know what? I've never had to shift that identity because Adam, because he really is not at a level where he could live on his own. Yeah, and that means that I always get to keep that. And oh. it is like holding an ace up my sleeve. And I haven't thought about it till this very moment. Yeah, but. When your kids leave and you have to redefine yourself, you what if you do something that's not as socially appropriate or admired as parenting? What if now you're just like a freelance writer trying to make it work, you know? Yeah. And there's like, I feel like this also ties in with the time, the time, the era that we're living in, mm -hmm. right? Same you know, more. in terms of because I think um in earlier times, there there were there were more consistent nouns to be outside yeah. of parenting. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I've heard you say you know that 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 it's a more chaotic time, and right. you know the train track metaphor. Yeah, that's it. Used to be like I I love reading about plagues. <laughs> Such a weirdo. It's something that, especially since the pandemic came, I'm like, well, it could be worse. Have you checked out 1348? <laughs> Not a good scene. So <laughs> it makes me feel good to read about the Black Plague. Um, but the the life expectancy, and I know this is probably it was almost certainly due to vast child infant mortality, but the average age uh, life expectancy was 17. So basically, you got to grow up, hit puberty, spawn, boom, you're done, you're out. So at best, if you were like a farmer or a laborer or an artisan, you only had to use the one identity. And then you got to be a mother until you died at 17. Um, so there were only a few things to choose from. Now we have these vastly extended lifespans and the number of ways we can define ourselves has become virtually infinite. And a lot of the old definitions that were just, were current five years ago are gone. Like mm. you, we talk about this a lot as writers, like it used to be that writers were writers. We were mm. talking about Lawrence Block, who wrote like hundreds of novels and just sent them off to the publisher. They all got published and he made enough money to live. Mm. Most writers these days work for years and years to make a little money over a long period of time. Like it's it's a different thing. So you can't just be a writer. You have to be a writer and then you have to have other things to keep the pot boiling. And maybe if you're doing a, like lots of things, like I speak and I coach and I just, what am I then? Mm. You know, 
And, and people but say, what do you do? It's okay, you're a mother. I'm a mother. Yes. You're a parent. That's right. And then that just trumps it. That mm. trumps everything. So what if, I mean, in the chaos of the, the way the world is developing, we're running out of nouns, things to be that are consistent and admirable. What if we just don't need to be a noun at all? Yeah. Ooh, what I if you let go of parent? Who would you be if you let go of that, you know, of the guideline and just said, let's see who I am today? And it's so scary, isn't it? Like it's so confronting. I remember hearing our wonderful friend Liz Gilbert say somewhere, I don't remember where I saw her say this, but um, she was talking about her decision to be childless mm. and um, that it takes great courage in many um, areas of your life because without children you have to really create the meaning mm -hmm. of your life because mm -hmm. you don't get a shortcut, which is, well, my child, my yes. children, it will go on after me, all of that. Like you, you've actually got to make that with your hands mm -hmm. or your heart or whatever. And uh, I just, I find that so fascinating because it's, I mean, it's true. Since so I had Lila late, you know, uh -huh. I was 40 when she was born and it's, oh my God, it, talk about being able to just lean back and think, oh, well, if my book doesn't get published. I made a kid. I'm a mom. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm scot-free. And it is, it is completely awesome. It, it, it is something that personally, like it fills your world for yeah. sure, but she's only two. Like you're going to change as she changes. And I think that's Kirsten's point. How do you wait? No, but that's not what I mean. What I mean mm. is when I get, it's not about that. It's about when I, um, go into the thinking of what's it all been about? What's my life for? Yeah. That sort of existential place. Yeah. I can, I can just tick the box because, of Lila. Oh. It was for her. My whole life, every day that I ever got out of bed, it was all for this, you know, child that didn't exist until I was middle-aged. That's so interesting because it's a biological imperative, right? Why yeah. do I, your, your selfish genes would be saying, why do you exist? One reason and one mm. reason only pass on those genes. And the culture basically grew up around that biological impulse, which is very, very real. And and isn't this so interesting because it's one of those places where like that bit or the biology bit is, is true, is real. And so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, at some point parenthood shifts from nature, ah. like all you're saying, the, the selfish gene, the urge to reproduce, all yeah. of that, everything. Um, that gives way or is 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 accompanied by culture and the the pressures of culture right mm, so mm. and then at a certain point it's mostly culture because they are capable of going off and living their own lives and at that point you're like what you're saying from an evolutionary perspective is that at that point your job as parent is complete right right and it maybe that's that's it's I mean it would be complete earlier, but it's like but we're hanging on to it as though it's nature when yeah. actually at that point it's culture. Is and that it's fair? Very to say? powerful. Yeah, I mean I remember when I first had children. I was it was in the eighties at Harvard, and I was in like 
the social sciences. So feminism was a big thing. And I was just, I really bought the cultural, the, the subculture of feminism was, you know, having children and raising them is not that important. Like what's important is being a fully fledged individual and, and having, making your mark on the world and everything. Mm. So I had that bias. Mm. Then I had a baby and I, I had, I was going to go to a painting class because I love to, I'm big into art. And I had scheduled this painting class for like three months after my child was born. And my then husband was happy to take the baby and everything. And I remember leaving her with him and trying to get on the subway. And number one, I was very exhausted and weak mm. from the whole new parent thing. Second thing, my, <laughs> I don't want to be too graphic, but I was, I was feeding the child from my body as nature. And, and my body started producing a lot of food to the point where, yeah, it just, it wouldn't let me keep going. It mm. was like, go back and nurse the baby. And it mm. was, it was like trying, it was, it felt like suicide would have been easier than not going back. There was no way I was getting on that subway train. And so in that moment, you were trying to do something that was closer to culture. I know yeah. art is your nature, but like in a in a slightly removed right. point. And then, but your biology just went, no, this is yeah. time for nature. And that was incontrovertible. Oh, it was so strong. And then, but I think here's the thing. If we stayed that tuned into ourselves, I mean, that's for the survival of the baby. So nature programs it in with a vengeance, right. right? But what if you were that attentive to your inner voice as the child grows? And like in your case, you were very independent. You, you had a very adventurous nature. And your mother actually pretty much fostered that, let, it, let you do it. Yeah. Um, other children may get caught in a trap based on their mother's need to remain in the place of intense care. Like the helicopter mother thing. I remember having. Which, by the way, clearly isn't Kirsten because she's thinking about all of oh, this yeah. and being forward, you know, like getting into it. But I remember when my kids were um, in primary school. So they were like 10, 8, and 6. And another mother came over and she had just had the one, she'd had one child who was a friend of my daughter's. And she'd had a baby late. And she said, Isn't it just amazing how it overwhelms your life? And I said, Yeah, it really does. And she said, Like the compulsion to just notice everything. And I was like, um, okay, I think, I think I know what you mean. And then she told me that her daughter had joined a swimming team for little kids. And the other parents, all the parents had gotten so obsessed with the training that the trainers said they couldn't come to the training sessions anymore. Wow. So they collectively rented an apartment across the street where they would watch the training sessions through binoculars. And I remember thinking, that's not nature. What? That, what? No. Um, but they, but she was still going on that overwhelming feeling they get that you get when they hand you your baby or when you first right. bond with the baby. And I was like, no, you're using this. And I have no idea how it was affecting the child. Hmm. But I remember feeling in my tummy that might be, that might be right for you, but it's it makes me really, really scared. And yeah. I feel like something very wrong is happening. So the very same I love my child thing had gone from feeling totally right to me to feeling really wrong. Mm, mm. And I, I don't know if it was about identity. She didn't want to stop being the mother to a baby, or I don't know what it was for her, but it just 
I think if she'd really got, had a little therapy and paid closer attention to her inner feelings, she might have been steered in a slightly different direction. It's kind of fascinating how total selflessness can become addictive because you'd think that mm-hmm. it wouldn't work that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much gender stuff that we keep bumping up against as we do, you know, all our little explorations into culture on this podcast that it's like you can really see how women, you know, people who who have children biologically can be um, can be be sort of uh, herded in that direction yeah. by the cultural messages yeah. um, that, like you say, it's a comfortable place to be. Yeah. It's very comfortable to be. And I find this too, like, you know, we're in a different kind of relationship, we're gay, and it's like I can go to school and I'm just a mum, you know, take yeah. Lila off to school and here I am with the other mums and it is. It's lovely to yes. be so normal for these moments. It's so fascinating because at the very same time, that is the feminine mystique that Betty Friedan, you know, talked about in the 60s when the mothers started staying home and just being mothers without extended family around. And it was driving them crazy because they wanted to have an identity. It's almost like the parenting trap. And I do think it's stronger for people who identify as mothers rather than fathers. Mm -hmm. It is this very plush except like you get all kinds of social treats for hanging out there, yes. but it's a cage. Yes. Oh my God. It's a God, gilded yes. cage. Like <gasps> we'll feed you the esteem of being a mommy forever, but you never get to leave. You and never you get to be a never person. never get to be anything else. And I think if you can like feel whether you need the cage, like you need a cage for a while to protect you and your, your newborn. And then there's a time when it's like, if you, the door is wide open, the kid is like going, if I just take any particular street, could I get away from you? <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, no, come back. I want to be in my cage. It doesn't feel safe to go out there because I don't know who I am out there. Mm. At least in here, I'm a zoo display that everyone loves. Yeah. But if I go out there, I'm going to have to create my own identity, fend for myself in a world where identity is completely falling apart right now. It's so fluid. And it even folds back into the what's the meaning of my life. Yeah. You know, now. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. I love, we were listening to a podcast, Glennon's podcast with Dr. Becky, a parenting specialist. It's a great podcast. So good. Oh my gosh, you so should listen good. to it. Um, but what I really loved about her was she said the most important thing is not to do something perfectly, but to be a, an expert at repair, mm. repairing the relationship, repairing your own psyche. So if you've launched your kids too soon and they're like, stumbling around the world, aching for the mother that you aren't or the father or the parent that you aren't, you can observe that and feel it in your heart and say, oh yeah, they need more. Like mm. Adam, I, w- I would not feel, I don't, I would not feel good sending him to live on his own. And if you've, if you've made a mistake and left the motherless, you can go and say, I feel like I've made a mistake. I've left you motherless. But if you've over mothered, and you've wanted the cage and you've pulled them in with you, it can be very toxic. Mm. And if you feel your own need to be free and the fear of having to redefine yourself and let the children go, then you repair by saying, I need to let you go. In fact, I need to move out of the house. Mm. I need to, one of us has to leave here Mm. because I feel in my heart that this has grown unhealthy for me. Yes. And then the child is being told that, I didn't see, I'm still calling it a child. This other person is hearing, I respect you as an equal, 
Mm-hmm. I understand that our relationship has been very unequal and I'm shifting it mm-hmm. to be something more um, horizontal rather than vertical. And you do it because it feels healthy in your heart, yeah. in your soul. Yeah. And because just because something is going to take courage, which is stepping into the new mm. phase of of life, we mustn't mistake that for it being wrong. Yeah. You know, scary. Say the thing about the say the thing about the diving board. I just it's always it's oh, so Oh, this is important. what I always tell people. This is what my coaches are trained to say to people and everything. Um, there there's two kinds of fear. There's fear that is mixed with desire and fear that is mixed with disgust. So think about yourself on a hot day, you're parched, you're sweaty, and you're standing on a very high diving board above a sparkling blue Olympic diving pool. And it's a long way down and you're scared to jump, but the water looks so cooling and refreshing and you desperately want to be down there. That's one kind of fear. Then imagine the same precise situation, except instead of sparkling water in the pool, there is toxic sludge and it stinks and it's poisonous. And you can tell even from up there, if that's the sense of fear you're feeling, climb back down the damn ladder, do not jump. So yeah, if, if you feel, if the thought of pushing your kids out of the house takes courage, it takes courage for them to be free. It takes courage for you to redefine, but it feels like, oh, we're all going to learn to, you know, it's going to, this is bracing. This feels healthy. Then do it. Even if it's scary for you, if it's mm-hmm. scary for the kid, you can talk about how it's scary for both of you. That makes both of you equal grownups. Yeah. And if it says, no, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. Do you want me to burn down the house? listen to it no matter what pressures you get from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I think the like the turn of the wheel each new season and and adapting to the requirements of each new season always takes courage. Yeah. You know, I think that we're constantly being called on to evolve and that some of those moments are more visible like yeah. this one than others, but I think there's always there's always that I love that invitation to be brave. Like the answer to Kirsten's question is not, okay, you know your children are ready when blah, 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 and this is what you do, blah, blah, blah. Instead, the answer to the question is go in the direction um, that is true and frightening. Mm. (laughs) Always invite yourself to be courageous. Mm. Mm. And so define yourself as that. I'm a person who does what is brave. You know, instead of I'm a parent, I'm a novelist, I'm whatever. I'm the person who takes the next risk. Oh, I love that. That just gave me chills. Me yes. Too. I'm I am someone of courage. And my child or my grown-up is also someone of courage. Yes. We and are that's what I'm raising. Together. That's what I've raised and that's what I will continue to model. Yeah, because to live without roles is the ultimate bravery. It makes you invent what's going to happen new every day based on your own resources instead of a model given to you from outside. Yes. And it's scary as hell. And it is it is growth. It is freedom. It is strength. It is everything we want for our children, right? Yes, exactly. That's yeah. it. No, we've got to stay brave, Muddy. Yeah. And go out and fight the raccoons. <laughs> and <laughs> stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD 
to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review. And stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.